Hello and welcome to the First Hand Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, I know today we were supposed to be having the NFC Offseason Team Needs podcast, but given everything that has gone on within the NFL landscape, within the last 24 hours, all the signings, the trades, um, we even have a suspension to talk about, just too much going on to get to the NFC Team Need podcast, so we're going to push that down the road just a few days want to talk to you guys, though, about all of this breaking news that we've seen. We'll start with the Calvin Ridley suspension, since that was the first big news that we saw. Ridley, of course, was suspended for the entire upcoming season for gambling on NFL games. Ridley himself later came out on his own personal Twitter and said, I gambled $1,500 one time. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Calvin Ridley, he's a wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, former wide receiver at the University of Alabama. He's been a very solid football player for them, but he did miss a lot of time last year. He did take a indefinite leave of absence to work out some mental health issues he was having. So that is basically what Ridley is saying is when he gambled, when he spent the $1,500, he was on his indefinite leave of absence. He was away from the team. So the games he was gambling on, the games he was placing bets on, he had nothing to do with. He had no insider information since he was away from the team at the time. So that is his argument. My issue with the suspension, I have a few few issues with it. One, I do feel precedent was set here. When you look at guys like Pete Rose with Major League Baseball, Pete Rose Everybody knows Pete Rose is worthy of being in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, but gambling as an athlete or as a manager, as somebody who is involved in sports, it has big consequences because from the NFL standpoint, they're going to use this as the, well, we have to protect the shield, integrity of the game. We can't have questions popping up on, are the players getting, you know, are the players throwing games, basically. My issue, though, is so you suspend Ridley for an entire year. Yet we've got guys like Greg Hardy committing literal felonious domestic violence. You've got, you know, so Hardy fits, you know, he commits felonious domestic violence and gets a four-game suspension. It was originally 10, but upon appeal, the NFL reduced it down to four. Then we've got guys like Kareem Hunt, who also commits assault. He gets, I believe, would he get eight games maybe? You've got, you know, I mean, we've got actual crimes being committed you know, actual physical crimes being committed and guys are getting, you know, four to six to eight games. Um, you've got Calvin Ridley who placed a $1,500 bet and is suspended for an entire year. The NFL has to get some sort of consistency with their, you know, fines, with their suspensions. To me, what I equated Ridley to doing, if, do I think Calvin Ridley needed a punishment? Yes, he knew that he could not gamble on a game given the fact that he was still actively employed by the Atlanta Falcons. Can't gamble on the game, it's that simple. He knew it, he made a mistake. However, I think an entire season is very steep. To me, something along the lines of what Tom Brady got with Deflategate, about a four-game suspension. You know, when Tom Brady got suspended with Deflategate, the NFL, Roger Goodell, they came out and said, well, this is about protecting the shield, protecting the integrity of the game. Because you have to remember, Deflategate all centered around 
playoff games. It was originally suspected the Baltimore Ravens thought the Patriots might have been doing something with the footballs in the divisional round game, but it really came to a head in that AFC championship game where the Patriots blew out the Colts. So Brady gets about a four-game suspension for potentially tampering with footballs during the playoffs. So if we're going to say Calvin Ridley for placing a $1,500 bet on a regular season game, deserves it I mean it just yeah it doesn't add up to me on that one you know to me I think the you know the the punishment doesn't fit the crime moving on from that though we have seen a lot of guys getting franchise tagged we've seen some signings some trades wanted to go over all those with you guys seen several franchise tags the Cleveland Browns franchise tag tight end David Njoku that's going to cost them a little over $10 million if Njoku does end up playing next season out on the tag. One thing to remember with the franchise tag is just because you plan to place the tag on a player does not mean that they're a guarantee to play on the tag. That just gives these teams you know, extra opportunity to re-sign these players to work a long-term extension because free agency starts here next week. The legal tampering period starts next week. If you don't place the tag on a guy, he's going to hit unrestricted free agency. By placing the tag on the guy, you now give yourself to the middle of July to work out a long-term deal and keep him with your team. And Joku, a very athletic tight end, former Miami Hurricane, has had you know an up-and-down career so far in Cleveland. At one point, he was requesting a trade out of Cleveland. Looks like, though... To me, you're not going to place the tag on a guy like Njoku unless you believe that there's a long-term deal coming up. If you're Njoku, you have to be happy. You're going to make over $10 million, worst-case scenario, next year. I know a lot of guys don't want to play on the tag, but in this case, I'm not sure Njoku would have gotten a $10-plus million per year contract on the open market. It may not be the worst thing in the world for him to hold out and play on that tag. So, another guy who got tagged, Cam Robinson, left tackle of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know I have said on this show several times, I did not think that the Jaguars would bring Cam Robinson back. There could be a couple reasons they made this move. One, they may feel that the tackle market, maybe they're not willing to spend big money on Teron Armstead. Teron Armstead, clearly the best tackle in this free agent class, clearly one of the best tackles in football, but he does have an injury concern. So maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars are saying it doesn't make sense for us to spend 20 plus million dollars a year on him. Given the fact that if you're going to sign Teron Armstead, it's probably going to take somewhere in the $20 million range. I don't think he gets Trent Williams or David Bakhtiari money of 22, 23 million. But I think somewhere around that $20 million range is what it's going to take to bring in an Armstead. And Jacksonville may not feel comfortable with that. The second thing to this is they may feel that second-round pick out of Stanford, Walker Little, is ready to be a starting tackle in the NFL. But they may not feel he's ready to be a starting left tackle. You slide him in at right tackle, you bring Cam back on the franchise tag. It's familiarity for Trevor Lawrence. You know, one thing, Trevor Lawrence, second year in the NFL, and he's already learning his second offensive scheme. This may just be an attempt to ease the learning curve by him having a familiarity with his left tackle, the guy who protects his blind side. Looking at some other guys who have been franchise tagged, we see Devontae Adams, the Green Bay Packers wide receiver. He's going to be franchise tagged. The big reason he's getting tagged, kind of foreshadowing a little bit, is Green Bay is not in the quarterback market anymore. That has been solved, and so because Aaron Rodgers is coming back, Devontae Adams had to come back. If Adams plays on the franchise tag next year, it's going to cost Green Bay a little over $18 million, which 
could be a bargain for the Green Bay Packers because there was many who believed that Devontae Adams was going to command a contract north of $20 million per year on the open market. So having Devontae Adams on the franchise tag next year at just a little above $18 million could be a bargain for Green Bay. Another wide receiver who got tagged was Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Chris Godwin. He's, of course, coming off the torn ACL from last season. Buccaneers placed the tag on him. That sounds more, though, like they just couldn't quite finalize a long-term extension. They placed the tag on there as a placeholder. But again, like we talked about with Devontae Adams, the franchise tag value for wide receivers is just north of $18 million. So if they can't come to an agreement, that's what Godwin will be playing on. The Godwin tag is interesting to me because with Tom Brady retiring, with Ali Marpet retiring, it kind of felt like maybe Tampa Bay was going to move some pieces and do a slight rebuild. When you tag a guy like Godwin, that tells me Tampa Bay still likes some of the other pieces on the roster, whether it's a Mike Evans, Vita Vea. To me, that tells me they plan to still be relevant. They obviously think Kyle Trask has a lot of potential. Keeping a guy like Godwin... Having Mike Evans already in-house, having some other young receivers with potential, whether it's Scotty Miller, Jalen Darden, former middle-round pick out of North Texas, was another one with some potential. That tells me that the Buccaneers still think that they can be relevant. So Godwin gets tagged. Dallas Cowboys, they use their franchise tag on tight end Dalton Schultz. A lot of people were really surprised by that. Schultz is not exactly a big name in the tight end market. There's several tight ends that I think we would all take over Dalton Schultz. I think the reason, though, that Dallas is placing the franchise tag on Dalton Schultz, I've seen a lot of Cowboys fans angry about this move because reports have come out that the Cowboys plan to cut Amari Cooper. They're unwilling to pay him the $20 million he would be owed next year. Also reports that they approached defensive end Demarcus Lawrence, asked him to take a pay cut. He declined, and because of that, there's now a growing belief that Demarcus Lawrence could be cut. And Cowboys fans are going, why would you cut Demarcus Lawrence? Why would you cut Amari Cooper? Two guys who are proven to be better players at their respective positions than Dalton Schultz. Why would you cut them, yet tag Dalton Schultz and pay him the, I believe it's $10.8 million that tight ends are going to be paid on the franchise tag? And I'm not saying that the Cowboys value Dalton Schultz more than Amari Cooper or Demarcus Lawrence. I'm not sure there's anybody out there who would. But the tight end class is a little bit weaker in the draft this year. You've got Trey McBride out of Colorado State, who's a great possession tight end. He's de- very sure-handed tight end, but he's not an elite tight end prospect. Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State's another one that's pretty good, but he's a third, fourth-round pick. He's never going to be amazing. And then there's some other tight ends, whether it's Dotton out of Washington, a few prospects who aren't bad, but again, none of them are elite game-changing tight end you look at the free agent class at tight end, it's a lot of guys who are either past their prime or guys who never lived up to their draft position, whether it's Evan Ingram with the Giants, O.J. Howard in Tampa Bay, you've got Zach Ertz, who's in Arizona, the former Philadelphia Eagle, Jared Cook, who spent last year with the Los Angeles Chargers, just some guys who are either past their prime, never lived up to their expectations. So when you have a tight end class and a tight end free agent class like the one we see this offseason 
Dalton Schultz may be the best option for the Dallas Cowboys there. So there, to me, that is why he gets tagged. It has nothing to do with this Dallas value Dalton Schultz more than they value Amari Cooper or Demarcus Lawrence. It has everything to do with the fact that the t- tight end class, whether it's in the draft or in free agency, is exceptionally weak this offseason. Speaking of another tight end who got tagged, Mike Giusecki, the tight end for the Miami Dolphins, former Penn State tight end. He has the franchise tag placed on him. The reason that is somewhat notable is Giusecki was tagged as a tight end. Now, like, we, like we've said a couple times now, the tight end tag is a little bit over $10 million. It's about $10.8 million. Giusecki, however, played over 70% of his snaps out wide in a wide receiver position. Therefore, Giuseppe technically would qualify for being tagged as a wide receiver. Had he been tagged as a wide receiver, that would be a little over $18 million due to him next year, about $18.4 million. So by the Dolphins tagging him as a tight end, they're saving roughly $8 million. Giuseppe, there's a growing belief Giuseppe is going to fight his designation as a tight end on the tag, given the fact that he played more than 50% of his snaps out wide in a wide receiver position. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, on the depth chart, he's listed as a tight end. It doesn't matter how Miami deploys him, he is listed as a tight end. But there is a little bit of, this is where it gets a little interesting. So the CBA, when it was agreed upon and rewritten most recently, the NFLPA put an exception in for this specific thing with the franchise tag. If you remember back, Jimmy Graham was being tagged as a tight end, yet he had played a lot of his snaps out wide. He was upset about it because, like we've discussed, tight ends are usually paid less than wide receivers on the tag. Jimmy Graham's argument didn't work because of the old CBA. So with the new CBA, they put in a provision that essentially says, if you were tagged, but you played the majority of your snaps at, you know, wide receiver, but you were tagged as a tight end, you can file a grievance on that and have have it heard. So if Giuseppe were to win that grievance and he has to be tagged as a wide receiver, is that a move that you want to make if you're the Miami Dolphins? Given the fact that you have Devontae Parker on the roster, given the fact that you have the emergence of the rookie Jalen Waddle last season, do you really want to be, you know, paying Mike Giusecki $18.4 million next year? Yeah, he doesn't look too bad at $10.8 million. But given some of the other tight ends that you have on the roster, whether it's former second-round pick of the Chicago Bears, Adam Shaheen, you know, is... Is Mike Giusecki worth $18 million? I think that'll be the question the Miami Dolphins have to ask themselves. Looking at some other moves that took place, let's get into these quarterback moves. The ones we've all noticed, starting with Aaron Rodgers, he has re-signed with the Green Bay Packers. It was initially reported it was a four-year, $200 million contract with $153 million guaranteed. It would give him an average salary of $50 million a year. Then there was some kind of, you know, Pushback on that initial report by Ian Rappaport. Pat McAfee, who, former punter of the Indianapolis Colts, hosts his own podcast, has guys like A.J. Hawk and Aaron Rodgers himself on the show all the time. McAfee comes out and says, I'm hearing that this isn't the actual contract. He said, I'm hearing Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay, but not on these terms. I'm hearing it's a much more team-friendly deal. Then later in the day, Aaron Rodgers himself takes to Twitter to say, I'm coming back to Green Bay. I will be back as a Packer next season. However, the terms that have been discussed Disclosed the contract that's been reported is false. That's not the deal I'm signing. 
So we know Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay, but what we don't know is the terms of the contract at this point. It'll be interesting to see. You know, Green Bay is currently over the cap. If you know anything about the NFL salary cap, though, it can be manipulated, twist, and turn to fit whatever a team needs it to fit. You can backload contracts, which I'm assuming Green Bay is going to attempt to backload the contract to begin with. That would look similar to what the New Orleans Saints did with Drew Brees. It would look similar to what the Pittsburgh Steelers had done with Ben Roethlisberger. You backload the contract, so the cap hit for the most you know present season, so in this case the 2022 season, will be less. They could also convert a lot of this into a signing bonus, affects the cap a lot less as well. So we'll wait to see what kind of money Aaron Rodgers is getting. That's why we talked about Devontae Adams is coming back because Rodgers is coming back. It's that simple. Looking at the other quarterback move, though, Russell Wilson gets traded. The Seattle Seahawks have agreed to trade Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. Wilson, of course, had the no trade clause. He went ahead and waived it in this case, already passed his physical. So this is just contingent now on the three players the Denver Broncos are sending back. All three of them now need to pass their physicals. The full details of the trade are Russell Wilson in a fourth round pick will be going to Denver. And in return, Seattle will receive quarterback Drew Locke, defensive tackle Shelby Harris, tight end Noah Fant, two first round picks, two second-round picks, and a fifth-round pick. That is quite the haul. It largely exceeds the haul that the Detroit Lions got last offseason for Matthew Stafford. I think that this is, given given the relationship that Russell Wilson had with Seattle and given basically the fact that we knew Russ was on his way out, this was... A great deal for the Seattle Seahawks, and this is a great deal for the Denver Broncos. You were able to bring in a game-changing quarterback like Russell Wilson without having to give up a game-changing receiver like a Jerry Judy or a defensive, you know, a potential defensive superstar like a Patrick Sertan. Yes, Noah Fant is one of the better young tight ends in the NFL, but he's a piece you can live with moving on from when you have another athletic young tight end in Albert O. So I like this move. Like I said, Seattle, you get two first, two seconds. That's obviously huge to build with. Could you package those now, or do you ride with Drew Locke? Do you say, you know what? We got Drew Locke in this trade because we see some potential with Drew Locke, and we're going to ride with him as the starter next year, and maybe do you use? you got to remember, so Seattle gets, they didn't have a first-round pick in this upcoming draft because they had traded it to the New York Jets for Jamal Adams. They're now back into the first round. They're in the top ten with Denver's pick, that w- which was pick nine in the upcoming draft. Do they use that pick on a quarterback? Are they in love with a Malik Willis out of Liberty or potentially a Sam Howell from North Carolina? Could they use pick number nine on a quarterback and then allow Drew Locke to be the starter and just let that quarterback sit? Because we've talked about this quarterback class. There are guys with traits. There are guys with potential, but there's not a guy who is a day one starter in this class. If you can put a guy and you can let them sit behind Drew Locke, Drew Locke's not elite, but Drew Locke's got potential. Drew Locke could allow a guy to sit for a year if need be. Could be a potential move. Or could they say, you know what, Drew Locke is not the answer, but we needed a quarterback on the roster for the time being. Could they look to make a move, package some picks, or package some sort of capital to go make a trade for a Jimmy Garoppolo? That could be a potential option. 
like we said, Noah Fant, good athletic young tight end, something that Seattle didn't really have on the roster at this point. Shelby Harris is a veteran defensive lineman considered by the Denver Broncos to be a great locker room guy, something Seattle desperately needed. Seattle also cut linebacker Bobby Wagner, so that saved them about $16.6 million against the cap. I'm not sure that move was really done to save the cap space. It's not like Seattle's going to go on a spending spree and really you know, bulk up for a Super Bowl run. I think the, the cutting of Bobby Wagner had more to do with they understood that they were not going to compete this year, and Bobby Wagner is a veteran who had given a lot to that franchise. So rather than trying to trade him and find somebody who was willing and able to take on his cap hit, they went ahead and released him. So now he can go to a franchise, he can work out a deal with whoever, and that cap hit won't limit him on who could take him. Teams I could see, one obviously being Denver. Denver, both their linebackers are free agents. They could potentially look to bring in Bobby Wagner, another team who doesn't have a ton of cap space, but if Bobby's willing to take a pay cut and maybe go, you know, try to win a Super Bowl, would be a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. They just cut linebacker Anthony Hitchens earlier this offseason, a move that saved them roughly $8 million. Could they look to go get a Bobby Wagner so that way they're not just playing Nick Bolton and Willie Gay at linebacker next year? That could be very interesting. But looking at the Russell Wilson trade from Denver standpoint, this is a win-now move by Denver. You don't give up the amount of picks and the amount of players that they gave up unless you think your roster is suited to win right now. I still think there's some holes on Denver's roster. I'm not sure Denver's better than Kansas City right now. I, even with Russell Wilson on the roster, Denver to me is still a wild card team. Still probably 10-7, and seven, maybe 11-6 and six next year. You've got issues at the offensive line. Center Lloyd Cushenberry, he has not played great. To me, you could upgrade that. Right tackle is a position you need to upgrade. Jawan James has been hurt pretty much every year since he got to Denver. I think that's something they need to look to upgrade. Tight end now could be a question mark. I like Alberto. He was very athletic coming out of Missouri. But he hasn't done anything to tell me he is definitely a viable tight end in the league. Wide receiver is pretty good. You got Jerry Judy, you got Cortland Sutton, you got Tim Patrick. They did cut former fourth-round pick Deshaun Hamilton, the former Penn State Nittany line. He has been cut. They were planning on trading him or cutting him last year. He There was a trade in place for him to go to San Francisco last offseason, but he tore his ACL. So this isn't much of a surprise move there. But Denver's got other holes as well. Like we said, both their linebackers, free agents. Defensive line, they need a pass rusher opposite Bradley Chubb. Seventh-round pick Jonathan Cooper, the defensive end out of Ohio State. He played well for being a seventh-round pick, but he's a seventh-round pick. We're not expecting him to develop into a viable pass rushing option you know their fourth round pick again out of Ohio State Baron Browning he missed pretty much all of last year he is a guy that they actually have a lot of hopes for he played linebacker at Ohio State but he's a guy they think they could move to more of a pass rusher specialist and they think they can get a lot out of him Browning is a physical freak so that could be interesting but Denver's not better than Kansas City right now and the issue is is even though Russell Wilson's in the AFC West now is Russell Wilson the clearly second best quarterback in the AFC West. I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes is going to be the best quarterback in the AFC West, 
But then there's Justin Herbert and Derek Carr, as well as Russell Wilson. Is Russell Wilson definitively better today than Justin Herbert? Over the course of their careers, obviously Russell Wilson is better. But today, would you rather have Russell Wilson or Justin Herbert? I think it's a debatable question. And if the Chargers, you know, they re-signed wide receiver Mike Williams to a four-year, $60 million contract with $40 million guaranteed. So Mike Williams is going to be back with the Chargers. Justin Herbert gets to keep his big body receiver. That's a huge move for them. If the Chargers can sure up the defensive line, if they can get a better run stuffer and a pass rusher opposite Joey Bosa, and they can sure up the defense a little bit, and then also look at fixing right tackle, if the Chargers can do those few things, they're legitimately going to be a playoff contender and, again, a 10-11 win team. They've got the quarterback. You've got the receivers with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, the rookie out of Tennessee, played really well for them last year. I love the running back room with Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. I think it's a great running back room, and they have pieces. Their rookie left tackle from a year ago, Rashawn Slater, he played great. Obviously on defense with Derwin James, with Joey Bosa, it's a great there's great building blocks. So the Chargers are not a team to just scoff at. And then you've got the Raiders, who all they did was weather the insane storm of their past season and still make the playoffs and be within a touchdown of beating the team who represented the AFC in the Super Bowl. So the Raiders are not anything to scoff at either. Derek Carr is still a very capable quarterback, probably somewhere between 10 to 12 if you were ranking the quarterbacks in the NFL. So I'm not so sure that the Denver Broncos, just because they now have Russell Wilson, it's going to be a cakewalk and they're a Super Bowl contender. They've got a good defense. They've got great receivers. And now they've got the quarterback, but they have holes they still have to fix before you can just get me to say, yep, Denver's a Super Bowl contender now. So wanted to talk a little bit more, though, about the Mike Williams deal, too. I know we glossed over it a little bit there. The receiver, he re-signs with the Chargers. He gets $60 million, $40 million guaranteed. And the reason to me that this is a big deal is that now takes Mike Williams out of the market, Devontae Adams out of the market, and Chris Godwin out of the market. The wide receiver market was one that we talked about that had a lot of potential. There was a lot of big names who were going to hit free agency. Three big names already gone. Now Amari Cooper was a name we weren't expecting to be there now. He could potentially be a free agent. We're hearing Michael Gallup, another big-name wide receiver who suffered a late-season-ending injury. There's reports that he and Dallas are close to finalizing a long-term deal, so Gallup could be off the market very soon. So that leaves you what? Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson did not get tagged by the Chicago Bears, so he will hit free agency. Where would he go? He has not had a good quarterback his entire NFL career with his time in Jacksonville and then, of course, Chicago. Going all the way back to college when he had to play with Christian Hackenberg at Penn State. So where will Allen Robinson go? And then it's a bunch It's a bunch of guys who aren't bad players, but not guys that I would want to have at a wide receiver one. You've got Jamison Crowder, who's been with the New York Jets. James Washington of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cole Beasley of the Buffalo Bills was given permission by the Bills to seek out a trade. So where would a guy like Cole Beasley go? He's had a little bit of injury history lately, but he's still a very viable receiving option. So that's really the receiving market. And then you've got some other lower-end guys who have talent and potential. You've got guys who are like wide receiver fours, like a Zach Paschal. And then you've got guys like Zay Jones with the Raiders as well. So I think the move Mike Williams resigning, what it does is it just weakens the wide receiver market even more. 
So those are the big signings. We also got reports that Harold Landry re-signed with the Tennessee Titans. Landry, of course, was their amazing pass rusher. He did not get franchise tagged, but instead he re-signed with the Titans on a $87 million deal, so a huge deal for him. A couple other guys who got tagged before we let you go. Orlando Brown Jr., the left tackle the Kansas City Chiefs. He gets the franchise tag. No real surprise there. When you trade a first-round pick for a tackle, even if you can't work out the long-term deal, you're going to make sure you tag him because you can't let him walk. Uh, Wide receiver Josh Reynolds, he gets a two-year deal to re-sign with the Detroit Lions. That's more of a depth piece for them. Reynolds, two years, $12 million. Really all that is is Worst-case scenario, they'll roll into next year with Reynolds, Amon Ross St. Brown, and hopefully a healthy Quintus Cephas to see what he has. Really, only other news so far in the, you know, cuts re-signing market is linebacker A.J. Klein was cut by the Buffalo Bills. Again, he was more of a depth-pieced linebacker. Obviously, their starting linebackers were going to be Edmonds and Milano, so Klein was more of a depth-pieced linebacker at this point. And then wide receiver Noah Brown, about wide receiver four or five for the Dallas Cowboys. He re-signs with them. But those are all of our signings, the big news and notes from around the NFL here lately. Like I said, we were going to do the NFC offseason team needs, but given everything going on in this crazy NFL market, wanted to hop on here with you guys and update you on all that. We do have an interview coming later this week with former Mount Union Purple Raider punter Adam Snyder, so that'll be hitting you guys later this week as well. But until next time, guys, like I always tell you, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Have a good one, and we'll see you guys later.